0: Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at HopeHogusville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. So let's read these words together. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1 through 14 says this. Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to the point to when the disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And he said to them, do you not see all these things? Truly, I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things happen. When will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And many, I am the Christ and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is, de- is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Uh, This morning, I'd like to kind of walk through some of these verses, and I'm going to take you to several other passages, but today the first passage I'm going to start in is Matthew chapter 24, and I've kind of bullet-pointed some things from these verses that you're welcome to write down. They're not things that I came up with. They're basically uh, worded exactly the way that they're worded in Scripture, but I believe that these are instructions from Jesus, instructions from Paul, and instructions for from Peter about how the church, how the believers, ought to view uh, the world and the coming of the end times and the coming of Christ and the coming of much difficulty and tribulation in these days. And these kind of things come to mind uh, when we see especially world events that surround the nation of Israel, uh, kind of like what we're seeing today in the news, when Israel uh, is being attacked and they're launching rockets back at Palestine after Palestine launches rockets at them and people are dying by the thousands. Um, If you've been in the church world much at all, you've probably sat under a number of teachings Um, that have given some perspective of what those types of things mean. Uh, Typically, a lot of people's understanding of the end times involves um, world events that are going to happen regarding the physical nation of Israel. Meaning, when you see things happening in the nation of Israel, it tends to raise alarm bells about the end times. People start thinking, could these be signs of the times? Could be the, could these be signs of the end? And I would say yes and no. Uh, we don't necessarily know what the Lord's plan is, and we don't necessarily know when the end will come. And God has told us very clearly that we're not going to know. Uh, but he has given us some revelation, meaning some, some view of a little, a small glimpse of things that are going to be signs that the Lord is coming, that God is coming in all of His glory to bring about judgment. Uh, one thing to uh, see is that there's uh, that He is coming to judge the world, but He's also coming to say, to bring, to gather together all of His elect. There will be a day when He comes to gather together all of His children off of this earth. There will be a day when He comes to judge this world. That day is coming. And he's told us that we're going to see things along the way as we live our lives that are signs that that day is coming. So when we see things on this earth, whether it be a famine or a, uh, a pandemic or wars or rumors of wars or earthquakes, natural disasters, or things revolving around uh, the physical nation of Israel, whatever it may be, these are signs that the day of God's judgment is coming. It's not, uh, these are not random events that are out of the control of God. Uh, one good thing for us to get a hold of is the idea that these are a small sliver of what the judgment of God looks like. Because scripture has taught us that in the end, when the Lord does judge the world, the entire world will be destroyed. That is the ultimate judgment of God. And all those who die without Jesus Christ will pay the ultimate price. Not only a physical death, but an eternal spiritual death. So that is the ultimate judgment of God. is complete death of all things that are in rebellion against God. And then the Lord will recreate A new heavens and a new earth for all those who are in Christ, who are his children, whom he has gathered together from the four corners of the earth to be uh, to live with him for all of eternity. So the Lord will that is that is the ultimate picture of judgment. But what he tells us is along the way, there are going to be signs that the end is coming. These are small pictures of the judgment of God, for instance, even something as small as the death of one individual. That is a sign of the judgment of God. Not necessarily that that individual was more sinful than everybody else, but that as a result of the sin of Adam, and as a result of our sin that we've been born into, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes the judgment. Meaning that there is, we all face some form of, Uh, The judgment of God in this world that we live in, we taste it, we feel it, we see it on display and our hearts grieve as a result of what we are feeling. Now, there are two different responses for those who are living without Christ. The response is uh, if if it's not going to be repentance, the only response you have left is despair. It's hopelessness. If you're not going to repent and turn to Jesus Christ, your Savior, the only hope you have left is despair. But for those who are believers, the response is to trust in the salvation of our God and to hope, even though while we live on this earth, we might suffer tribulation. And that's where we're going to start today is in Matthew 24, some things that Jesus was telling the disciples to be expecting. To be watching out for these are not uh, things that are maybes. These are absolutes. These are things that will absolutely come to pass. The, these will happen, um, and they are. Uh, and something else to notice is that they are not designed for the purpose of making Christians worry, making Christians anxious, or making us. Um, become doomsday preppers. Uh, They're they're not designed for the purpose of making us despair. Although, when you look at them, there seems to be a lot of negative things that Jesus is talking about. This is not a fun scripture to look at. I don't know about you. When you read some of these things about the end times, they're pretty scary. They're pretty um, uh, daunting to consider. Uh, and and it makes us want to say, God, please make sure that we don't have to see any of this stuff, right? Especially when we get into reading Revelation. Most of us want to read the book of Revelation, and because it's really super interesting, and you read about all these you know, seals that are going to be opened on a book and all these trumpets that are going to be blown. And you read about angels coming down from the sky on horses, and you read about um, beasts coming up and, um, and, and creating desolation on the earth and all these crazy things. And, and ultimately, if we're not careful as believers, it causes fear and anxiety and depression and despair. But again, I think the two responses that God would have us, any person who becomes aware that these things are from the Lord, the two responses are either repent or persevere. If you're believers, we persevere in hope. If we're lost, we repent and we turn to Christ. And that's the ultimate goal. Let's, talk, let's look through these together in Matthew 24 verse 1 through 14, and read some of these again. Um, again, I, I put up here on the screen some things that you could write down if you want. These are directly things that Jesus said, um, and these are the, the encouragements and the hope that I believe that Christ is calling us to hold on to. He says in verse 4 of Matthew 24, Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. The first thing he says is to make sure that you're not misled. It's really easy to be misled about all this stuff about all the things about the coming times and the end times and the wars and the rumors of wars and what all this stuff means. Jesus is saying, be careful that you're not misled. And I believe what he's saying there is to make sure that you're not led to trust in a false Christ. Because he says in verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will mislead many meaning that there are all kinds of people or even things that will be exalted as though these can save you and create peace and security in your life as a hedge of protection against the, tr- the turmoil and the tribulations and the difficulties that are to come in the world that we will have to endure. And so if you are being encouraged to look to anyone other than Jesus Christ, then you are being deceived. The only one who can bring safety and security and assurance to your heart and your soul in this world is Jesus himself. So he is pointing people back to himself saying, look to me, I am the Christ, I am the salvation, I am the way, the truth, and the life, trust in me. Take comfort in the fact that I am your savior. That's the call of Jesus. So first off, make sure that you're not easily deceived and trusting in things that are not the Christ. Let's keep looking and see what he says in verse 6. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. That's the second thing that he says. Make sure that you're not afraid. So this is something good to see. As Jesus, and as Paul, and as Peter, and uh, as God through uh, through John, reveals to us, there are all these turmoils that he says are coming, but the point that God wants to get through to us is to not be afraid. It's, he's not saying, these things are coming, so, uh, so be warned. He's not saying, these things are coming, so watch out. He's saying, these things are coming, and I'm telling you that they're coming because I don't want you to be afraid. It's like when, you're, um, when, you're, uh, when you have small children and you're about to do something that you know might be frightening to one of the children. You sit down with them and you kind of explain to them a little of what's to come in order to help their heart not be as afraid as what they might be if it all was a complete surprise to them. And so God is giving us small glimpses of what is coming so that we will not be afraid. And he's saying, I am with you. He says, see to it that you are not frightened for these things must take place. Meaning that this is the will of God. These are not things that are orchestrated by the power of Satan. As though Satan is rising up against God and God might be defeated. These are all part of the sovereign plan of the Lord. Jesus says these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He's kind of saying, as we are looking around and seeing wars and rumors of wars, and we're seeing people fighting and we're thinking, what can we do about that? While we live in this earth, we can do some things. We can pray for those people. We can, um, if, if there's any possible way that we can provide physical aid to the people as a form of a um, coming in after some of these wars or in the midst of helping refugees in the process of some of these things, being the church. Being the light, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, sending missionaries into those places so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as they're going off to war. We can, as a church, be involved, but he's saying that we're not to be surprised when we see these happening, these things happening. The church, like many people in the world, are going to throw up their hands and say, what is happening I am not. I don't understand. Why are these things taking place? The world is spinning out of control. But for the church, we ought to be able to see these things and say, this is to be expected. Almost as if it's normal. Because we know that's what is happening. That's, that's the plan. Not that it's okay. Not that we like it. But that we understand that it is to be. And so he's saying these things... Must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. In various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. Earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs, and that's the illustration of a woman giving birth, saying that you know before she actually gives birth and goes through the the um, the ultimate difficulty of giving birth to that child, there are birth pangs that come beforehand. And he's saying these are, these are just part of the coming of the end. But the giving birth part of it is not just the ultimate suffering. It is the judgment of God. It is God coming and putting an end to all sin. It is God coming and gathering together his elect from the four corners of the earth. It is a good thing, not necessarily a bad thing. And all of the sin that we see on display in this world that we kind of are discouraged about, not kind of, we are very discouraged about, um, the, the rampant drug use that's killing people every day, thousands of babies being murdered every day in, uh, in the name of freedom, uh, people that are being slaughtered in genocides in other, for, in other corners of the world, People that have traded um, what is natural for what is unnatural. They're calling what is evil good and what is good evil. We're seeing all this on display. We're extremely discouraged. And we say, "How? why does God not put an end to this? Well, guess what? The good news is God will put an end to all of that. That's a good thing. So he says, don't be afraid. Make sure you're not deceived. He says, These things are merely the beginning. Then in verse 9, then they will deliver you. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all the nations because of my name. And at that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. That's a reference to people who claim to be believers, people who claim to be followers of God. Will in under the pressure begin to betray one another. But I would like to encourage you. Um, These are not statements about the potential for Christians to lose their faith and lose their salvation and turn on other Christians. I think this is a purification process in which those who are genuinely Christians will remain faithful to the end. And those who are not truly Christians who claim to be believers in God, it will become evident because of the pressure that they are truly not believers in God. The pressure will reveal The truth of the heart. There will be no faking Christianity anymore, but it's not something for Christians to fear in the sense that we don't have to be afraid that under the pressure I'm going to lose my faith, or under the we don't have to fear the power of the Antichrist. We don't have to fear this elusive mark of the beast and what that might be because if we're believers we're believers if we're saved by grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ we're saved if the spirit of God has come into our hearts has regenerated us caused us to be reborn all these things we've been reassured of over and over and over again in scripture we don't have to be afraid of the power of the enemy it will not have an effect on us the only effect it can have on us is to kill our body and that's it It's a momentary affliction that will be over in an instant in in the grand scheme of things. The only thing they can do is to kill our bodies if that's what the Lord allows. So nothing to fear from that. But he says it will happen. So it is to be expected. So uh, to some extent, that's a little discouraging. Jesus is saying, guess what? They're going to sell you out. They're going to drag you out and they're going to kill you because you love me. That's not a really happy thought. So it's okay to not like that. It's okay to, um, to consider to, to be sad about that. It's okay to even be a little afraid of that. But Jesus is trying to console your heart, saying, please don't be afraid and trust in me. And so he says, the one who endures to the end, verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So he's saying, um, persevere, those who persevere to the end will be saved. Uh, now that's uh, less of an instruction and more of a truth, meaning that those of us who are in Christ, who are saved by God, will be carried through to the end. We will persevere, but he's encouraging us to persevere. And it's almost the same as uh, telling us to not be frightened. You know how you know how hard that is to follow an instruction as simple as that? Don't be afraid. When you're afraid, you're afraid. You can tell yourself not to be afraid all you want, but you're still afraid, right? But I think what's, what's uh, the beauty of this is who it comes from. Not just that we're telling ourselves to not be afraid or, or we're telling each other to not be afraid. This comes from Jesus, it's the words of Christ. It's the words of our Savior who dwells within our hearts, who has our eternity secured in his hands by his blood. He is comforting us and saying, don't be afraid. It's not, it's not so much an instruction for something, something for us to go out and do, so much as a comfort and a consolation, as though Christ is coming around us and holding us in his arms saying, I got you. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay yeah, you're going to see all kinds of terrifying things, but I'm, I'm holding you, and it's going to be okay. So with that, I'd like to jump over to another scripture. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, you can flip there if you'd like, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Um, this is Paul talking about the mystery of the resurrection and uh, the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read some of these verses fast because there's one verse Here where he gives the instruction that what the church is supposed to do about it. He says, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable, meaning your physical body cannot inherit the imperishable things. All right. But behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means be dead. All right. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must put on imperishable and the mortal must put on immortality. So there is this. There's this transformation that God is going to do. He's saying that in the twinkling of an eye, at the sounding of the last trumpet, Jesus is going to come and he's going to gather together all of his children and we will all be changed from a perishable thing into an imperishable thing. From a, from a mortal thing into an immortal thing. God is remaking us in this, in this moment. Verse 54, he says, but when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's a, it's a statement of mockery that comes from our voice as we look, out, uh, look back at death and say, what power do you have? Absolutely none. No more sting of death. No more victory of death because Jesus has brought us through death into life. And then in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is our encouragement. There's coming a day where he's going to gather us up. It is our victory. Here's the instruction. Here's what we do in the meantime. That's what Paul says. While we watch everything unfold, while we await that day, here's what we do, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, I put these on the screen. Uh, You can write these down if you want. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So he tells us to be steadfast and immovable. And I believe that's a reference to our faith and our conduct and the life that God's called us to live, to be steadfast, stand firm. And then he tells us to abound in the work of the Lord. So what should we be doing in the meantime? Trying to prepare for the end times or should we continue to abound in the work of God? So the Lord's call to us is to look at what God has for us to do today, here and now, in my circumstances and in my surroundings and with my resources and with the life and breath that I have what does God give to me? To me, these are encouragements to me. Because it's almost as if God's saying, Yes, it's okay to know that all these things are going on, and it's okay to grieve that all these things are going on. And but sometimes we get overwhelmed thinking, what are we what, what can we do about all this? And he says, abound in the work of the Lord. Abound in the word. Keep doing the work. Keep focusing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep preaching the word of God. Keep helping. Um, uh, helping the poor and the needy and keep fighting for human life, keep leading people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And he says, Know that your toil is not in vain. It, uh, that's another thing that we deal with in this world as we look at tragedies and things falling apart around us. We think all this work that we're doing, especially when we're seeing people that we have poured the gospel into go astray. And reject the gospel of Jesus Christ or work that we've done in gospel ministry and we think all some of these people that we've tried to help just don't seem to be helped Um, there is an encouragement here as we do the work of the Lord and as we abound in the work of the Lord there's an encouragement and a consolation from God that our toil is not in vain if we're working for the glory of God it achieves the glory of God and we trust in that and the Lord is at work in those things Another passage of scripture I'd like you to point out to you is 1 Thessalonians, um, where Paul tells the Thessalonian church they were really worried about their dead family members, because um, they had heard about Jesus coming to gather the, the elect from the four corners of the earth, that Jesus was going to come back, gather all of his children. They said, well, what about my dead family members? Is he going to gather them up too? And Paul says, yeah, he's going to take them first. But they were really worried about the end and how it was all going to play out. And so he tells them the primary point there is to comfort one another with the fact that Jesus is coming and he is going to gather up his people. He says, I'm going to start. There's a lot here, but I'm going to start in verse Uh, 16 He says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's this imagery of Jesus coming on the clouds, shouting with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, uh, and the dead in Christ, those who are believers in Jesus who are already dead, they're going to be raised up first. And then he says in verse 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. And that's the comfort. We will always be with the Lord. It doesn't matter what uh, doomsday events play out for the believers. We can know we are always with the Lord. Now, I want to clarify, I'm not trying to trivialize those things because, um, and I don't think the Lord's trivializing them either because they're very severe. Um, All throughout scripture, every time the Lord had to execute his judgment on his people, thousands of people died. Um, And it was a terrible, terrible thing. Um, But in all of that, the Lord preserved a remnant of his people and he kept his covenant and he continued to pour out his loving kindness upon mankind and it's the same message to us today, to trust in him for salvation. We will always be with him. Uh, then he says in verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1, 1 uh, Thessalonians, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Meaning, the times and the seasons. As though, like, basically saying, as, as far as what's going to happen next, What's going to happen in the next age? What's going to happen in the next, what's the next phase of the judgment of God? You know, when you read the Revelation, uh, the, the book of Revelation, and you're trying to figure out if when he opens the seals on the book, you know, there's, uh, there's uh, a certain number of seals on the book and a certain number of trumpets that are going to be blown. You know, do those happen simultaneously or do they happen in consecutive order? And what are those exactly going to look like? He's given us a little glimpse of that, but Paul is telling them, you don't really need to know how it's actually all going to play out because the Lord knows how it's all going to play out. And I'm not, again, I, wanna, I don't want to trivialize the fact that God's given us revelation. If He gave it to us, He gave it to us to read and understand, so it's important, but here he's trying to encourage them, saying you don't really need that. You have no need of uh, not the revelation, but he's saying you don't need to know the exact detail of how it's all going to play out because for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety and then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. I just wanted to read that far because he was saying, listen, people that live in the darkness and live in sin, all this is going to come as a surprise to them and they're going to suffer under the judgment of God is going to be absolutely horrible and terrible. But for us, we live in the light. It is not a surprise to us that the judgment of God is coming because we are in the day. Our eyes are open to the spiritual things. And so we see that God is coming. Yes, the judgment of God is coming. And yes, our salvation is coming. And we do not have to fear it. In verse 11 of chapter 5, it says, Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up just as you are also doing, meaning that these words are not meant to cause the church to spare. They're meant to result in encouragement. Again, I know some of us, we're, we're looking at this going, I'm having a hard time being encouraged as I'm reading about the judgment of the world, right? And as I'm seeing the world burn around me. But the Lord is telling us by the presence of his Holy Spirit, because of the work that Christ has accomplished in us, we can be encouraged. We can hope. We can come to a place without fear. Let me read you another scripture. This one's from 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Um, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 15 says this but the day of the lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away and uh, which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and all its works will be burned up again not very encouraging all right but in verse 11 he says since these things are to be destroyed in this way what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming day of God. So again, the writer, Peter, is encouraging the church, saying, okay, we know that the judgment of God is coming. So then what do we do about it? He's saying, listen, this is what we need to do. We're believers. We are holy people. We are the saints, God's holy ones. Since we are the holy ones of God, since we are the believers, then we ought to conduct ourselves in holiness We ought to go on conducting ourselves in godliness, hastening the coming day of God. I believe that means to look forward to, as though we're trying to uh, see that day come soon. Hastening the coming day of God, where he will put an end to all sin and death and evil, and he will bring about the fullness of salvation. And then in verse 14, he says, um, Therefore, beloved... I think I skipped a verse. Yeah. Um, he says, looking for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with an intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth, which, In which righteousness dwells, verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him, found by him in peace, spotless And blameless. And then he says, Regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. So a few of the things I pulled out of this one was conduct yourself in holiness and godliness. Look forward to the day of the Lord. He tells us to look forward to that. Hastening the coming day of God. Now, in the Bible, when you read about the day of the Lord, that's a reference to the day when God comes in judgment. All right, and there's a little bit of debate as to whether or not he's going to come one day and gather all the elect. And then we're going to go away for a while. And then he's going to come back another day for the day of judgment. Some believe that on the day of the Lord, when he comes, all that's going to happen at the same time. So it's okay to, you know, take a differing perspective on some of that. But what we just have to know for certain is that there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day when he gathers his people. But the encouragement is focus on the life that God's given us to live here which is to be diligent, to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless. That's a reference to our conduct, walking in righteousness as Christians, and then to recognize that God is being patient. The fact that he has not burned the earth already is a testimony to the beautiful patience of God. We look out at the world and see all these atrocities and say, God, please put a stop to it. But he doesn't. We're done seeing it. We're done seeing it. But the fact that he is waiting is a testimony the fact that he is still saving. In the midst of all these atrocities, God is still saving souls. So he's being patient with all this rebellion and wickedness and evil because he's saving souls. So he's telling us as Christians, because our eyes are open spiritually, we see the bigger picture. He's giving us a glimpse of the big plan because... Uh, he's showing us what is to come he's saying that we can see the ultimate goal which is that god is still saving souls so we ought to be about that work seeking the salvation of the lost those who are dying in their sins preaching the gospel of jesus christ to those people that they might be saved And we ought to be about living the life God's called us to live in righteousness and in godliness and in truth. So a few things not to do. Nowhere in any of these passages, and there's more that I could read. For the sake of time, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Nowhere in any of these things is the Lord encouraging the church to be anxious, to fear, or to panic or to despair over the downward condition of the world, or to even despair over our personal loss. It is a very real possibility that as we live in this earth, we're going to suffer a personal loss as a result of the wickedness and evil in this world. We become victims of the sin of this world. Although we're not really victims, we're all sinful people. We all deserve judgment, but the Lord by his grace has seen fit to save some of us. We praise him and rejoice in that. But as we live this saved life on this earth, we might endure a very real personal pain, whether it be our own death or a death of a loved one, or whether it's just simply grieving and suffering in our hearts over the fact that we're watching people die every day in wickedness. It's, that's a tough thing to, to see every day. In fact, I know a lot of people, have to just turn it off like we can't just keep watching the news all the time because you know there were a day there was a day when the world events weren't right in front of your face every single day right all people knew was what was right in front of them but we live in an age where we can see the atrocities that are going over all over the world every day right in front of our face I think sometimes if that's causing us anxiety if that's causing us despair, if that's causing us fear, if that's causing us a sense of panic, we might need to turn off the news. We know it's happening. It's not, it's not a callousness. It's not, it's not to be complacent. It's to simply say, I'm going to trust it into the hands of God because all I can do is focus on the life God's given me right here. And if the Lord's given me an opportunity to go And maybe help some of those people in another place. Then the Lord will open that door and I'll go and I'll go help those people. Maybe he gives us an opportunity to give. Maybe he gives us an opportunity to pray. Maybe he gives us an opportunity to um, sacrifice something of our own to help a refugee from something that's uh, from an atrocity in this world. Maybe somebody that's um, any circumstance. But the point is, I think there's what not to do is to become fearful and anxious, if that's where our hearts have come as a result of the uh, impending atrocities of this world, then I, I would encourage you, this is not a message of judgment in that because it's really hard not to fall into a spiral of despair. This is not a message of judgment. It's a message of encouragement. The reason I wanted to point all this out to you this morning was because I think there's a number of us that are in our fellowship here that are wrestling with a discouragement about the ongoing <laughs> endless wickedness that's on display seemingly not slowing down but getting worse and we're struggling with it's it's building and I wanted to encourage you see what Jesus says Jesus said see that you are not frightened see that you're not frightened And I think that comes as a result of us drawing near to Christ. A few things to pray for and think through as we um, uh, close looking at this. Um, You know, when we see these things, I think it's okay to grieve the loss of life and the display of evil. It's okay to hate that. It's okay to hate wickedness. It's okay to hate um, death. When something bad happens, we don't have to just put on a pretty face because we love Jesus and we're supposed to rejoice. Yes, our heart is joyful, but our heart is also sad. We rejoice in the hope of our eternal salvation, but our heart grieves death because death is a result of sin. It's okay to hate that. It's okay to grieve. So you don't have to feel ashamed of your grief. You don't have to suppress it or put it away or try to make it go away. It's okay to grieve. Um, And then another thing, I think, as we apply these scriptures, some of those things we wrote down would be that um, I think one of the general encouragements is for us to be faithful in our given surroundings, faithful to the Lord where God has us right now. Become the voice of truth in our own culture. We need to speak the truth of God. There are people that are lost, that are dying in their sins today, and we need to speak Jesus to those people Uh, It's also good for us to pray for peace and salvation of the lost. We need to be praying. That needs to be something that is uh, part of what we do on a regular basis. Pray that God will save souls. And then, you know, from Thessalonians, the overall encouragement is to encourage one another with these things. Uh, Set our eyes on the hope of eternal salvation and then continue to remind each other of that same thing. Christ is coming. We have hope. God is going to take care of us through this. Um, And then also uh, consider the sovereignty of God. The will of God is at play here. This is not Satan on a rampage. It's the will of God who is allowing evil to play out while he is saving souls. And he has a plan, and he will execute it perfectly. Trust the will of God. Trust that the will of God is good. And I think that's a hard one for us, especially when we look at evil. When we see thousands of people dying on a daily basis, trust that the will of God is good. And I think that's, that's a big one. I hear a lot of people saying, it's hard for me to get my head around a good God, allowing evil to continue. And I think that's where faith comes in. We trust that he's good. We see that it's his patience that's on display. And then in terms of our own life and our own safety and the sovereign, and uh, we, we trust that to the sovereign and goodwill of God as well. Um, that, that goes back to not trusting the wrong Savior with our life. We trust Jesus to be our Savior and to take care of us. He's provided for us. He protects us. So two calls for the world. For the lost people, whenever we see tragedy, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God was telling the people to repent and trust in him. And when they lived in rebellion, he punished them. Thousands of people died. And then the call to them after all those people died was repent. It was always repent, repent, repent. And to the world around us. Every time there's a tragedy, every time a little sliver of the judgment of God is placed on display in this world, the call to all who are lost is repent, and turn to God, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the message. Jesus is your savior. And without salvation in Jesus Christ, you will face the full wrath of God. That's a truth. It's not something I'm trying to scare you with. It's just a truth. And then the other message to the, to the Christians is To the children of God, see that you're not frightened and persevere to the end. See that you're not frightened and persevere to the end. And uh, I believe that's where Christ would have us rest as we wrestle with some of these things. So this morning, I'd like to invite you to pray um, over your heart and then over our world around us. I think we should pray when we see things come up in the news. That should be maybe that's. You know, it could be a curse that we're forced to see everything that's going on that's such a, that's so horrible. Or it could be an opportunity for us as believers. If it wasn't for the news, I would have no idea what's going on on the other end of the world right now. But I do. So now I have a responsibility to pray for those people. So I would encourage the church to pray when things like that happen. Pray for the lost and the dying for salvation and peace. And then pray for the church and for our hearts that we will not fear and that we will persevere. Let's pray together this week. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.